Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. I'm going to read from the Message Translation, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 to 23. So unless you have a Message Translation, you can just follow on the screen with me. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of His overall purpose, He is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourself home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. The signet from God is the first installment of what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the believers of Jesus, or all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I thank, I'd thank, I would, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank. I ask. Ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing Him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is He is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God has raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven. In charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for this, for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of all, of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Friends, we live in a chaotic world. We've had, in the last couple of years alone, pandemics, injustices in many nations, and our own politics are confusing and divisive. Inflation, just San Diego alone, is insane. I read a post this last week in one of the newspaper articles that said that San Diego is the most expensive city now in America. Now there's war in Israel, as we've just prayed for and devastation on both sides of that war. These cries and these uncertainties, these, these uh, heartaches can feel overwhelming in our own hearts as we consider them. They can destabilize our vision, and they can create despondency corporately and individually uh, because life is just really hard. We ask ourselves, what is the point of all of this? Like, why is this happening? What, what, why? What's going on? It's a question I find myself asking over and over again. What is the point of this? 
And then we ask ourselves, like, what are we meant to do? Warn Israel or pandemics or inflation or crime or injustice. What should I do about it? What do I, we feel helpless and alone. What are we meant to do or how are we meant to live at a time like this? Not only as Christians, just hum, like, well, what are we meant to do? Maybe you can resonate with that. You've also, you know, even on a greater scale, we find ourselves as human beings in good times and in bad, asking ourselves the question, what is the meaning of life? Or the, the age-old question of, what is my purpose? Well, Paul, the apostle who writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, he writes in verse 11 and 12 in chapter 1, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and our purpose, what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us and had designs on us for what purpose? For glorious living. And so it's in Christ we see in the Scriptures that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in Him. A few months ago, we wrapped up a series looking at and going through uh, the book of Ephesians. We looked at how we are called to corporately live life as a church. As a new church that's one years old here in downtown San Diego, we wanted to root ourselves in the Scriptures and form a community around the identity of Christ. And so we said, as a community, we're going to be guided by the Scriptures and we're going to follow the example that Paul sets for us in the book of Ephesians. And this whole idea of how we live life as a community was centered and is centered around this grand idea of we want to encounter Jesus. We want to encounter Jesus. We want to live life as a community in such a way that we have divine revelation and encounter and interaction with Jesus. And now we're in a series that we've titled The Trellis, looking at how we can put practical things and rhythms and, pra and practices in place, disciplines in place in our life that will create a trellis, if we use a farming or agricultural analogy, they will create a trellis from which life with Christ can grow. Intentional decisions and rhythms and practices placed in our lives, like reading the Bible and prayer and fasting and feasting and celebration and worship. We started off the series in the trailers looking at John chapter 15 with this idea that we want to encounter Jesus. The reason we implement practices, the reason we read the Bible or worship or fast or feast, the reason we do all of these things, practice silence and solitude and proclamation and declaration, the reason we do these things is not so that we can say, okay, well, I did my Bible reading and I'm fasting on Tuesday and then we'll worship on Thursday and I'll go to prayer room and then I'll practice community. No, it's so that we, we do all of these things, not to check a list, but to encounter Jesus. We want to encounter Him. And if you remember with this idea of encountering Jesus as front and center, we started in John chapter 15. Because in John chapter 15, Jesus uses this word, this language of abiding. Eleven times in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about us abiding in the vine or abiding in Him. That word abide can be translated to remain, to stay, and to dwell with Jesus. 
Because that's the goal, right? With all of the practices, with life as a community in Christ, with life as individuals, you and me going out as we scatter during the week and live out our lives, it's not so that we can just go and do a bunch of stuff for Jesus. It's so that we can root ourselves in the way of Jesus, practicing the lifestyle of Jesus so that we can become like Jesus and encounter Him. That's the goal. That's the purpose. You see, if we want the life of Christ, then we need to have the lifestyle of Christ. And that's what we're doing. We're implementing these practices that we can become like Jesus. It's like, um, let's use a a sports analogy, right? Another one for today. If you want to become good at, uh, let's choose a sport. Um, If you want to become good at basketball, if you want to be a, a basketball player that you want to be as good as LeBron James, you cannot live the lifestyle of Brian Barnes and then anticipate becoming as good as LeBron James at basketball. You need to adopt the lifestyle of LeBron James and the practices of LeBron James and the diet of LeBron James, and you need to do the exercises that he does, and you need to implement the way of life that LeBron James has if you want to become anything like LeBron James. If our goal is to become like Jesus, then we need to observe the lifestyle of Jesus and then implement his practices in our life so that we can become like him. If your life or my life looks like the lifestyle of the rest of the world, then we cannot think that just by accident we're going to become like Jesus. No, what we're actually going to become like is like the rest of the world. And so this is our attempt at putting structures and practices in place, not to check off a list of do's and don'ts, but rather to implement a way of life so that we can become like Jesus. We want to be with Him, abide with Him, so that we can become like Him, and we will find ourselves doing the very things that Jesus did. What we see here in Ephesians chapter 1, again, is that it is in Christ, as we place our life in Him, as we, imp- as we practice the lifestyle of Jesus, we will find out who we are and what we are living for. And that's what I want to give attention today to. Now, Paul, in encouraging the believers to live in Christ, to practice the lifestyle of Jesus, to find true purpose and meaning amidst a chaotic world that's full of disruption and chaos, you know, if Paul was here today and he came into Light Downtown Church and he, he knew what we had gone through in pandemics and, and, and injustice and, and politics and everything in this nation and observed the rest of the world and, and observed what happened in Ukraine, what's happening in Ukraine and Israel and, and, and all over Africa that often doesn't get media attention, like all of the stuff that's happening in the world around us, if he was here, he'd probably stand up here today because he did this in Ephesians. And he would say, God has designs on your life for glorious living. Part of his overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. God has a plan. He's working it out, and God is in control. When we consider the world around us, we need to root ourselves in the knowledge that God has a plan, that he's working it out, and that he's in control. He does not cause bad things to happen. He does not cause war in Israel. He's not pleased with these things. But God has a plan. He's working it out, and He's in control. It might not always seem like it. It might not always feel like it when we look at the world around us, or even if we look at our own lives, like this morning, getting ready for church, and I'm going to come preach, and the kids are getting ready 
or they're not really getting ready, and there's frustration building in the home, and I'm just getting frustrated, and I need to pause and remember, it's okay. God is in control. (laughs) We see in Ephesians chapter 1 that it's God's plan to bring us all into His presence. And Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, he says, I ask, ask that God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing Him personally. God wants us to know Him personally. He wants to bless us with His presence. He wants us to abide in and with Him. You know, Brent, you gave some attention earlier to the prayer room that happens on a Tuesday morning. Our theme, we, we pray through a theme every um, quarter, every season. And our theme in the prayer room for the next couple of weeks and what has been for the past weeks is this idea of abiding in the presence of God. We want to be a people that abide in God's presence, that practice the presence of Jesus in our life. Now, so come on Tuesdays. Join us as we endeavor to abide with Christ together. And as we consider God's blessing and how this relates to His presence, I'm reminded of David's story found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And this will be a passage that we'll kind of unpack for the rest of the time together. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, what we see, this is a book in the Old Testament, kind of midway through the Old Testament. That's the first half of the Bible. What's happening at this portion in, in, in history is that David, if you've heard of David uh, in the Bible, David is now king. He's taken over from King Saul, and David is now king of the Israelite nation, uh, the Jewish nation. And all throughout the Old Testament, what you see is different kings or prophets acting as types of Christ. What this means is they're representing what Jesus will be like when he arrives in the New Testament. And so David, acting as an imperfect type of Jesus, foreshadowing Jesus Christ, as he's performing his duties as king. Some he's doing really well, he makes a few mistakes along the way. But as king, he's at this moment in history in 2 Samuel chapter 6, what, what is happening here is David, as king, has decided to move the ark of the Lord. I've got a picture of the ark of the Lord here. It should come up. Do we, do we have it? There we go. That's the ark of the Lord. And that basically in, in Jewish time, in, in ancient Israel, uh, the presence of God could, in that moment in history, because Jesus had not yet arrived, God's presence could not be around the earth. If we encountered the presence of God, we, we, it would he would kill us. It would be too overwhelming because we were full of sin. But God made a way, and through instruction, uh, uh, this kind of box-like thing was made, and, and in this box was a, the actual presence of God. And the priests and the kings would move the ark of the presence of God around um, to, so that God could be with His people. And at this portion in history, Um, David decides to move the center of Israel, the the capital of Israel, from Hebron to Jerusalem. And many people, some people view David's moving of Israel's capital from Hebron to Jerusalem as the most important geographical decision in the whole Bible. And what happens is David is moving this ark so that the presence of God can dwell in the midst of his people. Let's open our Bibles in 
2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel. Elite troops, right? 30,000 in all. He led them to Balah of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between two cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzziah and Aho, Abinadab's sons, were guarding the cart. They carried the ark of God. Aho walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lairs, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. I wish, like, can we just get a bunch of lairs, harps, castanets, and cymbals for, that'll be great. But I love this scene, right? Let's, let's consider this. This isn't just a, what's happening is you've got 30,000 military elite troops, and they're moving, they're going with the ark of the Lord. And they're moving this ark from Hebron to Jerusalem to establish God's presence in the midst of the capital of the nation. And the scene is this, 30,000 men walking, chanting, singing, celebrating, dancing, and having a party as the presence of God moves with them into the capital. The scene would have looked much the same as 30,000 people plus going into the Stade de France next Saturday as men and women and children go to celebrate and watch the Rugby World Cup final. Or as uh, I went entering into the Snapdragon a few weeks back as Coldplay, my favorite band of all time, were playing at the Snapdragon. And we all got given these like plastic rubber bands, which was really cool because I don't know if you've ever done this. I'd never done it, but those things all light up different colors and makes patterns in the crowd and everyone's celebrating and dancing and singing and there's a sky full of stars and you know the whole thing and we're doing, then they play Fix You at the end and everyone just wants to cry and it was just amazing. And there's emotion and there's joy and I really was hoping that it was going to rain in that moment because like there's nothing, I would just imagine myself crying while the rain falls and I was singing Fix You as Chris Martin led me into a transcendent place. <laughs> but this is the scene, right? Just like celebration and joy and dancing and f- as the presence of God. These are the emotions, friends, of God's people at the mere thought of the presence of God dwelling amongst them. The God's presence meant so much to these men and women and children, the nation, that the scene would have looked like the Super Bowl as they entered into a place of worship or anticipated God's presence being amongst them. I ask ourselves, do we know that the presence of God is not confined to some box somewhere in another nation today, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the presence of God is amongst us, in us, and dwells in our hearts if you have accepted and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I ask, do we celebrate, not at the future prospect that maybe God will dwell amongst us in a confined space, but do we actually have a heart of joy and celebration at the very real reality that the presence of God is not confined somewhere else, but in my own heart? The fixed, finished victory and work of Jesus Christ gives me access to the presence of God in my own life. Do I celebrate it? Like right now, if you're a Christian, the presence of God dwells in you. 
And this has been the plan from the very beginning, God with us, Emmanuel, right? God with His people. Isn't that amazing? What David and his people were anticipating is now our reality. Do we celebrate? What's our heart posture towards the presence of God dwelling amongst us? Verse 6, but when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, that the oxen uh, stumbled, and Uzziah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. So he touched the ark. This was not allowed. Only the high priest once a year could touch the ark at the center of God's presence and enter into, the, uh, enter into God's presence. Once a year, one man, after many rituals, could enter into the presence of God. Verse 7, then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzziah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzziah died right there beside the ark of God. So what was once reserved for the high priest, once a year, and if anybody disobeyed that, the presence of God would actually, you know, because of sin, you would lose your life. That reality is no longer our reality, and our privilege is that we get to enter into the presence of God. This is why, friends, we are called kings and priests, by the way. Why does the Bible use that language of kings and priests in the Old Testament? Well, the, the priest was the one who could enter into the presence of God. In the New Testament, we are called kings and priests. Why? Because me and you can enter into the presence of God with joy and celebration, knowing that we would be welcomely received. David, in verse 8, was angry because of the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzziah. He named the place Perez Uzziah, which means to burst out against Uzziah, as it, was called to, as, it, as it is still called today. Now David, no, David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of God into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. David, the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. A man that, that God would say, hey, this guy, he really, truly desires me. The same man is now, as a result of earthly circumstance, avoiding the presence of God. David, whose only hope and provision in life, as he was running around a few chapters earlier, now sends God away. It's funny how that happens, right? How easily we can forget the provision that God has in our own lives and the blessings that we've received from Him, and then we start either neglecting or avoiding Him intentionally or sometimes even unintentionally as life just goes on and happens. It's funny how we can be men and women who eagerly seek after the presence of God and either by decision or by just mere unintentional neglect can avoid or step outside of God's presence in our life happened to David. In verse 11, the ark of God remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. The Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. A few things about this dude, Obed-Edom. He ends up with the presence of God in his home by no work or achievements of his own. He wasn't like trying his best, earning his thing, like I'm going to become a high priest. And No, he David just is like, I don't want God's presence amongst us. This is too hectic. He sends the Ark of the Covenant to Obed-Edom's house. All Obed-Edom does, all this guy does, is he just uh, says yes in obedience, and he follows the king. 
all he does. Yes, in obedience and follows the king. And through obedience and submission, God's presence enters into his house. Now, if we were to exegete this passage, meaning if we were trying to interpret this passage and say, hey, what is the key here? What can I learn? What can me and you 2,500-odd years later, what can we take out of this particular line or passage and moments in Scripture? Well, what we can see here by the example of Obededim is that if we want the presence of God unlocked in our lives to enter into our proverbial home, submission and obedience to the king is key. Submission and obedience to the king. And now, with the presence of God in his home, what happens? Obed-Edom's entire family is blessed. We see this. The presence of God enters his home, and blessing overflows into the entire household. Not just for him and his obedience and submission, but his entire family starts to receive a, a blessing. I just say, like men in the house, if we want our families to receive blessing, are we submitted and obedient to the king? Now, we don't get any indication as to what type of blessing they receive from the Lord. It may have been spiritual blessing. It may have been physical blessing. We're not really sure. It could have been financial. It could be all of it. But all we know is that the blessing was really good. And what we see is that other people desire the same blessing. Let's go to verse 12. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed obed household and everything he has, be has because of the ark of God, because of God's presence is there. His blessing. So David went there and bought the ark of God from the house of Obedidim to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of God with shouts of joy and the blowing of a ram's horn. David comes to the realization that he cannot go at life alone. He cannot go at life assuming that he can figure it all out and that he can cultivate blessing for his people under his care. He realizes again and comes, to, he is awakened to the fact that actually he needs the presence of God. And David has this revelation that to receive blessing in his household or in his nation, he needs the presence of God to dwell amongst them. And man, this blessing must have been pretty good because David starts running around naked and singing and dancing and completely unashamed, if you continue to read the story. And if you continue to read and you go through verses later, David's wife thinks that he's a complete fool and has lost his mind as she observes him running around naked in the courts and uh, celebrating. But what looks like foolishness to the world was the very hope and joy of David's life. He realized and experienced the joy of encountering the presence of God. Again, the emotions and the characteristics of the people of God who are about to encounter the presence of God are characteristics of joy and celebration, gladness, dancing, rejoicing, shouting, singing, music. There's a party. They're sacrificing fattened calves and, and celebrating and feasting together as a body. Contrast these emotions with the emotions of the world. 
look around. Do you see, I mean, not just momentary, but I'm talking about like lasting joy, gladness, celebration, dancing, rejoicing in the world around us? When was the last time that you turned on the news and you saw a president of a nation running around celebrating and rejoicing over some kind of good news? Mostly it looks like presidents of nations facing fear or anxiety or anger or wrath. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, we read that God has a plan for us all, and that plan is a praising and glorious life. Well, it's quite simple, isn't it? To live a life of joy, a life of purpose, a glorious life, we need to be reminded or we need to come to the knowledge of or have a revelation of the fact that we need the presence of God in our midst. Because it's in the presence of God that we experience not only blessing, but joy and celebration and life and fullness. We need to invite the presence of God to break into our lives, into our homes, into our workplaces, and into our relationships. Will we be men and women who carry the presence of God into every facet of not only our own lives, but our community, so that the community around us can experience the blessing of enjoying God's presence? Even practically, maybe for you here this morning, there's a relationship that feels strained or on edge. Do you want that relationship to be filled with life and fun and joy? Invite the presence of God in. Is your home life stressful, maybe tense? Invite the presence of God in. We see that Obedidim takes the presence of God into his home through obedience and submission to the king as his entire family, we are told, receives blessing. How do we do that? How do we invite the presence of God into our family, into our lives? It might be simply, you know, it could look different for everyone, but the simple starting point can just be a simple prayer of God, please be with us in our home tonight. Putting your kids down to sleep, a prayer offering, just pray over my kids as they, like I'm kind of exiting the room once they've fallen asleep. It's just, Holy Spirit, just touch these boys. So God, fill, the, fill your presence here, Lord. There could be repenting that needs to be done in your home. Repenting to the Lord or repenting to a spouse or a, a child or to a parent or to a sister or brother. They will bring about newness and fullness of life in that space. Consider, ask the Lord, what does it look like for me to bring the presence of God into our midst, into our home? Is it at work? Is work draining or frustrating or hard? Is there a really sucky boss or a really sucky employee? And you, and you actually just say, God... You arrive at work tomorrow morning, maybe a few minutes early, God, presence of God, come into the space. Be with us today in the office. Because I believe it is in the presence of God that we can live a blessed life. We see this all throughout the Scriptures. Regardless of what the world these circumstances are and look like around us, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, I ask, ask that the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing Him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is He is calling you to do. And he goes on, the church, 
Bear in mind, you and I are the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. And the church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts, by which He fills everything with His presence. So it's not just bringing the presence of God into my life so that I can receive blessing. It's actually you and I are the vehicles through which God's presence is felt and experienced out through the world. God wants us to know Him personally. So it starts with us. We are with Him. We encounter Him daily, but not just for ourselves, for the sake of others. We are in His presence, and it's from that place of intimacy, of abiding with Him, John chapter 15, of being in Christ in Ephesians chapter 1, that place of you and I knowing Him personally, that He will give us eyes focused and clear so that once we've received our identity in Christ, we will see and know exactly what it is He is calling us to do. Intimacy, in a place of intimacy, He gives us our identity. It's in the secret place of of intimacy, of being with Him. He will tell you and I who we are, and then He will send us out with what He's called us to do. And he tells us that our purpose, what's our purpose? He says, the church is Christ's body by which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Light church, and if you're visiting us today, any Christian, we carry the presence of God. We are the ark of the covenant now. We wear it. So do we carry joy? Do we carry celebration? Do we carry gladness? You know, does, does a, a group of, of people going into the Snapdragon to go watch San Diego Wave make, uh, you know, win the Western Conference and make it to the final, do they look more like the people of David than we do in the church? Are we celebrating at the idea of actually we carry the presence of God amongst us and it is our joy to be in His presence and now we're going to carry this out to the, to the rest of the world? The rest of the world, you know, carries fear, anxiety, negativity, hopelessness. This is why we're giving so much attention to the practices, to the spiritual disciplines. It's not because we want your behavior or my behavior to change. It's because we want to become more and more and more like Jesus. And then we want the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. By the way, the fruits of the Spirit are not things that we need to obtain. Like, I need to become more loving. Okay, cool, I achieved that. Let's become more joyful. Yay. Okay, now I must be patient. Like, no, the fruit of the Spirit is just the character traits of Jesus. And as you become more like Jesus, we become more loving. We become more patient. We become more joyful. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. It'd be argued that like, we can almost take it out because love summarizes all of the fruits of the Spirit. It's like if you just become love, but God is love, you'll become more joyful and patient and kind and gentle. So technically, joy is the first fruit of the Spirit on that list. It's joy. How's your joy? Do you enjoy Jesus? Do you enjoy spending time with Him? Because it's with Him experiencing joy that you'll find out who you are and what you're called to do. And it is through us that He acts and speaks. Think about that for a moment. 
the creator of the universe, he chooses you and he chooses me to act and speak on his behalf in the world to bring about his plans and purposes. It wasn't like the creator of the universe, all-powerful Lord of Lords, looked around for some people and was like, ah, dang it, I'm going to settle with you guys. And it was just like, well, there's no one else, so like, I guess you will do. No, he looked around and was like, hey, you, Susanna, with your time and talents and treasures and your abilities, I choose you to, through you, I'm going to act and speak and reach uh, San Diego. It's, it's that's what I'm going to do. It's caught with your time and talents and treasures and personality and, and, and strengths and abilities and finances and where you live and how you live and your background and your strengths and your weaknesses. I'm going to use you and speak and act through you to the rest of the world so that they may come to know me. It's in us. Sam, it's in and through you that God acts and speaks and brings about his plans and purposes in the world. It's every single one of us. Chris and Rose are going to go to Australia, and they're going to carry the name of Jesus there into Australia. And, and it's their kids who are born in America that are going to become Australian citizens, and God's going to use that very nature, their dual citizenship and, partner, and, and passport, to actually, how? I don't know yet, but he knows, and he's going to bring about his plans and purposes, and the world will know him as we say yes. What's your yes? Where is your yes? How are you saying yes? Do you intentionally carry the presence of God into the places where you find yourself, your family, your workplace, your friendship circles. He chooses us. What does he choose us to do? Bring about his presence. So how do we change the world? How do we stop wars and live lives of, and, and save lives and bring peace? How do we proclaim freedom? How do we release blessing? What is the point of it all? How do we see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven? I think it, it's pretty simple. It's we get to know him, we're with him, we abide in him, and then we cultivate lives of intimacy, putting practices and disciplines in place where we become like Jesus, and then we carry his presence out into the world. So I'm going to invite Isaac to come up, um, and we're going to enter into a time of communion. And the whole idea of communion is that we accept again and are reminded again through the sacraments of taking bread that represents the body of Christ that is broken, that pays the penalty and price for our sins, and we take the, the cup, the, the, in this case it's grape juice, that represents his blood that washes us clean. His bread, his body broken that pays the price for our sins, and the cup that washes us clean so that the presence of God can come and dwell in my heart. You see, it's through the finished victory and work of Jesus Christ that God's presence dwells in and through me. And so when we partake of the table and the sacraments of communion, what we're doing is we're receiving again that Jesus Christ, you're enough, and I accept your victory, I receive your victory of grace on the cross, and I place again God's presence at the center of my life. David took the presence of God into the city of Israel, into the city of Jerusalem, rather. And at the center of Jerusalem, they experienced again, after that, a season of blessing and safety. I invite us again today to make an intentional decision to place God at the center of our lives, to receive the victory of Jesus Christ again, and just say, okay, Lord, thank you for your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, 
and I intentionally place you back at the center of my life again. And then I carry your presence out into the rest of the world. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Isaac's going to play. And uh, we'll end our time with some worship on uh, just a, a song at the, at the end of communion. We've got two tables, and uh, I believe that one has gluten-free, if you want the gluten-free version. And uh, we can make our way up. You don't have to all go at once. Let's kind of just start in the front. And uh, as Isaac plays, you can pray and spend time with the Lord. And, and maybe if you need to repent, maybe if you need to just say, consider, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and consider what are you going to do to place God at the center of your life? Is there something you need to give up, something that needs to take a step aside? And then just make your way to the table, take the bread, you can just dip it in the cup and just say, Jesus, thank you for your victory on the cross and I place you at the center of my life again. If you're unsure of this moment, um, come up to the front, Caitlin and myself are here and we've got some other leaders that can pray with you or even just explain to you what we're doing. So please, this is a family moment. You don't have to, one, you don't have to take of communion. And two, if you'd like to and you're not sure, we'd love to guide you in that process. But let me just pray and we can enter into this time. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and the finished work and victory of Christ on the cross. I thank you, Lord, that you choose me and us and that you pour out so graciously and lovingly your spirit, not only to dwell amongst us, but to dwell in the heart of the individual who gives his life or her life over to Christ. And so we say again, Lord God, that we receive Jesus and his victory, and we ask that you would bless us with your spirit, and that the presence of God would be central in our community and in our hearts and our lives. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Thank you.